The following sermon, entitled The Provision of Food from Our Brother and Ruler, was preached on Thanksgiving Day, November 24th, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this morning to Genesis 42. Genesis chapter 42, the text for this morning's sermon will be verse 25. Context is that Joseph has been made ruler in Egypt. There have been seven years of plenty during which they gathered together the extras, and now seven years of famine have begun. Genesis 42, now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lust peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. They said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons, we are... True men, thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land are ye come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph said unto them, That is it that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Hereby ye shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh, ye shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother, and ye shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. And he put them all together into ward three days. And Joseph said unto them, The third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. And they said one to another, We are very guilty concerning our brother. 
And that we saw the anguish of His soul when He besought us and we would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them and saying, Spake I not unto thee, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them. For he spake unto them by an interpreter. And he turned himself about from them and wept and returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way, and thus did he unto them. And they laded their asses with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the inn, he spied his money, for behold, it was in the sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? And they came unto Jacob their father, unto the land of Canaan, and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us, and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men, we are no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father. One is not, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that ye are no spies, but that ye are true men. So will I deliver you your brother, and ye shall traffic in the land. And it came to pass as they emptied their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, I will bring him to thee again. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in the which ye go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Thus far we read God's Word. The text for this morning's sermon is verse 25. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way, and thus did he unto them. In the grand scheme of this history, the verse that is the text for this morning's sermon seems rather insignificant. What's so important about the fact that Joseph had the sacks of his brother filled with corn and that he gave them food for their journey home. 
The part about the money being put back in, that's intriguing, that's interesting to us, but the part about the sacks being filled with corn before the money's put back in, well, that just seems like a passing notice to fill out the story. And no doubt when we would read a chapter such as this in our devotions, we probably would never give a second thought to verse 25 and the notice that Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn. And to be sure, when it comes to Joseph's interactions with his brothers, there are certainly more important, more relevant verses in this chapter. But when you do look at the grand scheme of things, you would be hard-pressed to find a more important verse in this chapter. Because what this verse teaches us about is God's great faithfulness in caring for His covenant people, for His church, in giving them their daily bread. And because that's what this verse teaches us about God's faithfulness in providing for us all that we need from a physical point of view, that makes this passage relevant for this morning. Because we've come together here in the sanctuary as a body of believers on Thanksgiving Day. And the purpose of us gathering together this morning is to be reminded that our daily bread and all of the physical things that we have, the material gifts that we have, they all come from the hand of our Heavenly Father. And thus we are encouraged to live a life of thankful praise to our God. And this passage is relevant, it's appropriate for this morning because it reminds us of God's faithfulness in that respect and reminds us of how Reminds us of the great lengths to which He goes in order to provide for us. And what makes this passage unique is that it points us to the fact that ultimately, our daily bread and the good things that we have come to us from our elder brother and our ruler, Jesus Christ. That's what we want to see this morning as we look at Genesis 42, verse 25. The theme for this morning's sermon will be the provision of food from our brother and ruler. There's no notice in the bulletin. I will read these carefully and repeat them. The provision of food from our brother and ruler. First, we will look at the providentially arranged provision. The providentially arranged provision. Second, at our brother and ruler from whom it comes. Our brother and ruler from whom it comes. And then third, our response of thankful praise. Response of thankful praise. The provision of food from our brother and ruler. The providentially arranged provision. Our brother and ruler from whom it comes. And our response of thankful praise. To understand the significance of this passage, we need to see what is at stake here in Genesis chapter 42. 
And that what's at stake is nothing less than the survival, the preservation of the church of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And I say that because of who this family is that comes to Egypt looking for bread. This is, these are the sons of Israel. And that's significant because it was with Abraham and then with Isaac and then with Jacob, that is Israel, that God established His covenant. And God established His covenant not only to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but to their seed after them. He would continue His covenant in the line of generations so that this family that comes seeking bread is really the church of Jesus Christ in that day in the Old Testament. There's a reason that all of the focus in Genesis 12-50 through is on this one family. Because this one family was the church of that day. And what is even more significant is that God had promised that the Messiah would come from their family. That when, For when God promised to continue His covenant with Abraham and his seed, we know from Galatians 3 that that seed is ultimately Jesus Christ. So that the coming of the Messiah is wrapped up in and connected to the preservation of this family. But in Genesis chapter 42, this family's in danger. Because there is a severe famine that has come upon the land. This famine will last seven years, and they are only two years into it, and they have already run out of food. So that if there is no way for them to find food, they will die by starvation. Jacob is not exaggerating when he says what he does to his sons in verse 2. Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we live and not die. If they do not get corn, if they do not get grain from some source, they will perish. And so what's at stake here is their survival, the preservation of God's church in the Old Testament. And because that's at stake, really, the validity of God's promises to His church are at stake here. Because after all, God had promised to take care of Jacob. He promised that to Jacob when Jacob left the land of Canaan to go find a wife. When Jacob was leaving the land of Canaan on his way to his relatives to find a wife, God promised to him in Genesis 28, verse 15, Behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. God promised to take care of him. And now that promise seems in question. And now it's in light of what's at stake here that it's no small passing notice that God provided for them. Because that's what the text for this morning's sermon is teaching us. Verse 25, Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore 
every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way. And He did unto them. God has seen to it that their needs are met. He's giving them their daily bread. He's giving them grain so that they'll have food for the coming weeks and months. He's preserving His covenant people. He's preserving His church in that day. And thus, He's showing His faithfulness to His promises. That's what we see when we look at this verse in the grand scheme of things. But what is noteworthy is not merely the fact that God provides, but when we look at this verse in the broader context and the whole history of Joseph's life, what really stands out is the great lengths to which our God goes in order to provide for us. It's one thing to say that He provides for us, but we need to see all that He does to see to it that our needs are met. And that comes out here in this history. For consider this verse that there was corn available to be put in their sacks. And now, work your way backwards through the history and think of all the things that had to happen just so in order for verse 25 to be even possible. For there to be corn available to put in their sacks, there had to be a storehouse of corn during a time of famine. And for there to be a storehouse full of corn during a time of famine, there had to be seven years of plenty, and there had to be the knowledge that famine was coming so that the people could store up food in advance for the seven bad years. And for the people to know that there was a famine coming, Pharaoh had to receive a dream, and Joseph had to be able to give the interpretation of that dream. And for Joseph to be given the opportunity to tell Pharaoh what his dream even meant, Joseph first had to tell a butler and a baker what their dreams meant. And for Joseph to be able to tell them what their dreams meant, he had to be put into the the king's prison, the royal prison. And for Joseph to be put in that particular prison instead of some other prison, he had to be the, the servant of the captain of the guard. And there had to be false accusations brought against him that were believed so that he would be thrown into prison. And for Joseph to be put in Potiphar's house, to be brought down into the land of Egypt as a servant by the hands of the Ishmaelites and for him to be given over into the hands of the Ishmaelites. He had to be sold by his brothers who so hated him that they wanted nothing more than to get rid of him. And you start connecting the dots. Work your way backwards and see all the little things that had to happen just so. And it shows us the great lengths to which our God goes to provide for His people. And this is indeed God's work. And we say that not just because that's the general teaching of Scripture, but because this history itself teaches us that. This will be Joseph's confession. We skip ahead to Genesis 45 
And the time that Joseph finally reveals to his brothers his identity. And they're afraid of him seeking vengeance, retaliating against them. Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 45, verses 5 and following this, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves for ye, that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. For God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it is not you that sent me hither, but God, and He hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph's confession is this was God's work. This was God's plan. God knew that there was going to be a famine and so that there would be food available for you, my brethren, for the church. God sent me ahead. He was... He was sovereign even over your sinful deeds against me. He was using it for good so that He could thereby preserve His church. So that He would have the food ready, available in storehouses for the time of the famine so that your lives could be saved. This is God's work. That's Joseph's beautiful confession. And I cannot help but wonder, when did he put that together? When, during all those years in Egypt, did he figure it out? Certainly not while he's a slave in Potiphar's house. Certainly not while he is a prisoner. But how soon after he interpreted Pharaoh's dream, did it dawn on him? God was sending me ahead. What a comfort that must have been to him. When God finally gave to Joseph an understanding, a perspective of God's plan so that, God, so that Joseph could Look back and see it all. Ah, that's why I was so miserably treated. Ah, that's why I had to be put into prison. And he could connect the dots and he could see God's faithfulness in it all. Truly, that must have been a good day for Joseph to be able to see that. And it's good for us to see this same thing. God's great faithfulness in providing for us. Because does He not go to great lengths to give us this day our daily bread? It is a general tradition that on Thanksgiving Day you have a turkey dinner. That's probably what most of us will have today if you're having something Else, that's fine, but we're going to use the illustration of a turkey dinner and we're going to do the same thing. Let's 
work backwards. Let's connect the dots. Let's see all that has to happen for that meal to be there. For that meal to be there, that turkey there, well, that turkey first had to be in the store. And for that turkey to be in the store available for purchase, it had to come from the butcher who purchased it from the farmer. But for that farmer to have a turkey available to sell, he had to have the food available to feed that particular turkey and all the other turkeys that he owns. And for him to have the food available to feed his turkeys, well, the grass had to grow and the grain had to grow and all the other plants had to grow. And for that, for the vegetation to grow, God had to send the sunshine and the rain in just the right proportion so that the earth would yield its increase. And that's just looking at it from the perspective of where did the turkey come from? Because there's a whole other dynamic of where did the money come from that I had so that I could make that purchase? Well, that came from a paycheck, but the only reason I had that paycheck is because God has given to me the particular job that I have. And not just that He's given me the job that I have, but He's given me the, the physical strength, the ability to perform that job. And you start working your way backwards and you see all the little things that have to happen just so. And it's really quite marvelous. Because it's all God's work. These things do not happen by chance. It's not fate that put that turkey on your dinner table today. Nor is it even ultimately my hard work, my ingenuity, my work ethic. That's not the explanation. But it's all God's work. Earlier in the worship service, we read Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 10, which makes the beautiful confession that fruitful years and barren, it all is under God's control. He's the one who gives us our daily bread. And He does so in His care for us, in His love for us as a people. And what's especially noteworthy is that He is indeed caring for us even when everything seems against us. That was Jacob's perspective of everything that's happening to him and has happened to him. When his sons come back with the grain. They report what's happened. How they have to take Benjamin in order to get Simeon back. We found the money in our sacks. Joseph, excuse me, Jacob says in response to all of that in verse 36, and Jacob their father said unto me, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Everything's against me. That's his conclusion when he looks at all of the, the evils, all of the circumstances, all of the difficulties. He cannot but conclude everything's against me. And we want to say to Jacob, but Jacob, if only you knew what God was doing. 
Jacob, if only you knew that your son was still alive and that God had a good purpose, a good plan in sending him ahead so that someday your son can keep you alive. We want to tell him, you just need to see the story as a whole. Because when you see the big picture later on in your life, you're you're going to praise God for it because you're going to meet your son and you're going to be able to see the same things. You're going to be able to connect all the dots and to be able to look back and say, all things were not against me. But instead, all things were in fact for me. And we need to be reminded of that. Because how often have you reached the same conclusion as Jacob? Everything is against me. How often have you looked at the circumstances of your life the different trials, the different difficulties, and concluded from it all because things are going so poorly in my life. Everything is against me. And if everything in my life is against me, does that then mean my God is against me? Has He forsaken me? Has He abandoned me? Have I sinned one too many times and He's done with me? If that's our thinking, then we need to be reminded of this history. Because if this history teaches us anything, it teaches us this, that though everything might seem against me, God is in fact working all things for me. For my good. And one day I'll see it. Maybe already in this life. But if not in this life for sure, in the life to come, we'll be able to look back and to connect all the dots and see how everything had to happen just so that I had to go through this trial. There had to be this burden upon my shoulders. Otherwise, I never would have been saved. Now God is working all things for my good. For that's what Scripture itself teaches us. For example, in Romans 8, verse 28, we read, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And that is indeed comforting. So thus far, we have seen the providentially arranged provision. How God was at work to provide the sons of Israel, their families, with their daily bread in order to preserve His church. But there's one very, very significant aspect of this text that we've really just ignored so far. And that's the one from whom this food is coming. It's coming 
from one who is both a brother and a ruler. That's what we want to look at in the second point. Our brother and ruler from whom it comes. This was true for the sons of Israel. Who was it that gave them their food? Ultimately, God, yes, but whose hand, who is the instrument in his hand to give them this, give them their food? Well, from the brother's perspective, it was the ruler of the land. The man in charge of everything. A man who somehow, someway, entirely unbeknownst to them, had risen to a position of second in command in the whole of Egypt. And it was this man who was in charge of the storehouses. We read in verse 6, for example, and Joseph was the governor over the land and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. So that the idea is, if you want grain, if you want food, you must go to this man, this ruler. He's the one in charge. And the brothers understood that. This food is coming from this ruler. What they did not know is that this same man was their brother. That he was born of the same earthly father, that he was a partaker of their flesh and blood, that he was a member of their family. And as such, he was therefore lovingly interested in them. And that in spite of all of their sins against Him in spite of the fact that He had suffered on account of their sin, Joseph still loved his brethren. He still cared for them and he was going to see to it that their needs were met. It's Joseph who's giving them their food from an earthly point of view. Verse 25 says, Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every, money's, every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way. And now once again, what makes this so remarkable is how God was at work to put the right man in place. So that when the sons of Israel come, they're given the food that they need. That is, God is the one who is at work. When Joseph's brothers threw him into a pit and then sold him into slavery, God was at work in His providence when false accusations are brought against Joseph, even though he had done nothing wrong, though he had resisted temptation, and God was at work that he was thus condemned, sentenced to time in prison. And there's all the other aspects of how God was at work so that this one who is the ruler of the land, the one in charge of the storehouses of Egypt, is at the very same time the brother of the sons of Israel, one who's lovingly concerned about his brethren and their welfare. And does this not then point us to our brother and our ruler? 
Jesus Christ? It most certainly does. For consider, He too was thrown into a pit with a view to the salvation of a people. For He was thrown into the grave, into that empty sepulcher after He had given His life at the cross of Calvary, only to emerge again the third day for the salvation of His people. But before that ever happened even, was not Jesus Christ also unjustly accused? Though He had done no wrong, though He had resisted every single temptation that ever came to Him His entire life long, yet He was condemned. He was sentenced not to time in prison, but to die on the cross of Calvary. He suffered. But then having suffered, having been humbled, He was exalted. He, he's brought up out of the suffering and out of the humiliation and He's made, He's placed as second in command. Not just over one nation, but over the heavens and the earth and everything. He's now in charge. He's the, the ruler over all. And at the very same time, He's our brother. For He is partaker of our flesh and blood. He was made like unto His brethren in all things. He was born of a woman. And on the basis of His saving work, we've been adopted into His family so that He is now our elder brother. We have the same Heavenly Father. And because He is our brother, He is therefore lovingly concerned about us. He's interested in the welfare of His church. He's the one whom God has put in a position to care for His church so that all of the storehouses of heaven and earth are at His disposal. What confidence this gives us. What comfort. Because congregation, He does and He will open those storehouses he opens up the storehouses of this earth to us. They do indeed belong to Him. For as the ruler of heaven and earth, everything in this creation belongs to our Savior Jesus Christ. Every plant, every vegetable, every fruit, every creature, they're all in His hand. And therefore, He has the right to do with them as He pleases. He's the one who's appointed to oversee the distribution of the goods of this earth. And when as His brethren, we come to Him, 
He opens His hand wide. And He gives us the goods of this earth. He sees to it that our needs are met. He's given us our daily bread. And for most, He's given us so much more than just our bare daily bread. It's our brother and our ruler who's in charge of the storehouses of this earth. And therefore, take no thought for tomorrow what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for your body what you will wear. Because your heavenly Father, for the sake of your elder brother, will care for you. But it's not just the storehouses of earth that He's in charge of, is it? It's also the storehouses of heaven. And all the blessings of salvation that are found in Him. For having lived a life of perfect obedience, having died on the cross to accomplish our salvation, Jesus Christ earned, He merited all the blessings of salvation so that all the blessings that have their source in the Father were given to the Son. They're stored up in Him as it were. And He now is the One who distributes them. Who distributes them to His people. And He gives us those blessings free of charge. There's no money required. There's no threshold of a number of good works you have to perform before He gives you these things. And if we would be so foolish as to try to give Him anything for the blessings of salvation, He takes the money and He puts it back in our sacks. Because He earned it. We don't earn it by our good works or anything that we do, but it's all because of His work and He gives it to us freely without any charge. And He lavishes these blessings upon us. He gives to us new life. He gives to us a perfect righteousness that can stand before God. He gives to us the forgiveness of sins and sanctification and all the other blessings. And therefore, let us, hear unto, let us hear Him say unto us, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Hear Him say to you through the Psalms, Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. What a glorious truth it is that the One in charge of the storehouses of heaven and earth is not just our ruler, but He's also our brother. And in light of that, let us give thankful praise to our God. For that is indeed 
our response this morning. Our response of thankful praise. Really, is this not why we're here this morning? On Thanksgiving Day? Our purpose in coming here is to be reminded that all that we have, both physically and spiritually, comes to us from our God in and through Jesus Christ. And our purpose thus is then to be encouraged to live a life of thankful praise unto our God. To bow the knee before this ruler even as Joseph's brothers bowed their knee before the one in charge. And to give thanks to Him. To give thanks in this specific way. Corporately, publicly, visibly, as a congregation, all coming together to say, thanks Lord! Thank You for our daily bread and for all the other gifts. It's for good reason that we have this practice. No, Scripture does not prescribe that we come together on Thanksgiving Day to have a worship service, but it's entirely appropriate that on this day that the nation has set aside for thanks, we as a congregation come to give thanks to our God. But it's not just one day, is it? This is to be the whole of our lives. This is what is to characterize our lives. That every day we bow the knee before our elder, our brother. Every day we lift up our voices and give thanks to Him who has so richly blessed us. May God use this Word to stir us up to such a life of thankful praise. Amen. Let us pray. Father in Heaven, what more can we say than blessed be Thy name? Blessed be Thy name for Thy work of providence in governing all things that take place in our lives so that though things may seem against us, nevertheless they are all for us. Blessed be Thy name for providing us with our daily bread day in and day out. And blessed be Thy name for the riches of salvation that are so freely given unto us, Thy people, for Jesus' sake. Father, fill our hearts with thankful praise. And may that thankful praise characterize not just this day, but the whole of our lives. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.